Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to read from 2 Kings chapter 20. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh, saying, Now, O Yahweh, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of Yahweh came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says Yahweh, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of Yahweh, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil, that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that Yahweh will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from Yahweh, that Yahweh will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to Yahweh, and he brought the shadow back ten steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oils, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Yahweh. And some of your own sons, who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of Yahweh that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah, and all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. So we have seen in the recent couple of chapters several things going on in the reign of King Hezekiah over Judah. Namely, uh, well, 
I shouldn't even say namely, we have seen Israel fall, the northern kingdom, to the hand of the Assyrians. Then we have seen the Assyrians march upon Judah, threatening to take it too and pridefully boasting that the God of Hezekiah could not deliver them. Boy, were they wrong on that. God sent an angel that struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Now we see King Hezekiah fall sick. In those days, so in the days of the struggles with Assyria, he's at the point of death, and Isaiah the prophet speaks to him from God, Set your house in order, for you shall die. What would you do? This, this could be a conversation point with your, your children. If they've got a, at least a, a somewhat of a grasp on what death is. In death, we get to, as Christians, we get to be with the Lord. And we've got several great passages in the New Testament about that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, talking about how we are, as long as we are in the body, we are away from the Lord. But that we long for the time when we put off the body and we are at home in the Lord. Some good stuff there too. And so... This is worth talking about with your children. And you could even set it up this way. If you knew that you just had one more week to live, you had one more week on this earth, how would you spend it? What would you do with those seven days? Hezekiah is going to learn here he has more because he prays, he turns to the Lord in faithfulness, um, and the Lord forgives. Forgiveness would be part of it, but the Lord restores him, heals him, gives him 15 more years to live. What would you do if you knew how many days you had left? There is a difference there if it's a short number of days or a long number of days, because with a long number of days, we can grow... What's the right word there? I mean, we would... We would have no urgency to our work, like Hezekiah now has 15 years to live. There's no need for urgency to, you know, teach the right things to his sons or to care for this neighbor or that. But if I know I only have seven more days to live, there are people that I really want to share the gospel with because I want them to know Christ. I want them to be in paradise with me someday to get to spend forever with God too. And If I only have a few days left, there's an urgency there. My encouragement to you, after you've had a conversation like that, together as a family, pick one of those things or a few of those things that you've talked about and go do them with urgency because we don't know when Christ will return and he could return tomorrow. And this is why a lot of the New Testament message is an urgent message. It's why the Great Commission tells us to go and baptize all nations. There's work to be done for the Christian. We're going to see Hezekiah take a step back after he learns he's got 15 years to live. Now, God adds 15 years to his life 
This reminded me of reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, where Jesus is talking about how we shouldn't worry because he's in control of everything and he provides for us. But he also says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And that fits here, right? We don't have that ability. We cannot change the outcome of our lives. Not even by adding to it a single hour. Now, honestly, admittedly, that's a weird translation in English that I've never understood why we did it. The Greek actually is, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his height? We took it from a measurement thing to a time thing as we translated it into English. I'm not sure why. So a cubit is about 18 inches. Which of you can force yourself, your physical body, to grow 18 inches? You know, talking to you, grown-up you sitting at home. We don't have that ability. We don't have control over this body. And yet the Lord knows even how many hairs are on top of our head. God knows us. He cares for us. He provides for us. So there's an interesting connection there. On the third day, Hezekiah is supposed to go up to the temple and God will do this thing for him. He will deliver him. He will deliver this city from Assyria for my servant David's sake. So a reminder of the Second Samuel chapter 7 promise that we've seen before. Now, that verse... That third day idea should bring your mind to Jesus, right? Jesus rising from the dead on the third day. One of the ancient church fathers picked up on this. His name is Aphrahat. He was a fourth century Christian, like into the late 200s, into the early 300s, living in Persia, Assyria kind of land. He said, Hezekiah prayed and was healed of his sickness. Jesus prayed and arose from the abode of the dead. Hezekiah, after he arose from his sickness, added to his years. And Jesus, after his resurrection, received great glory. Hezekiah, after the prolongation of his life, death was given dominion over him. But Jesus, after that he rose, death shall not again have dominion over him forever. So just a neat connection uh, to, again, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we can see in the text. Hezekiah, having now heard this wondrous word from God, challenges it. He asks for a sign. And the Lord is humble, the Lord is patient with Hezekiah, the leader of his people, and grants him a sign. Not the same as he did with his father Ahaz before him, Isaiah chapter 7, where he granted him the blank check of a sign, ask for whatever you want, and the Lord will do it for you. No, instead, God offers to shift time. Do you want the shadow to go forward 10 steps or back 10 steps? We would think of something like a sundial. But you can think of probably your own yard, and you're used to seeing on the sunshiny days um, how the shadows move in your yard. And so Hezekiah is used to how the shadows move, whether this is his house or if it, it's probably his house. And Hezekiah reasons, well, it's easy for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. That's the way the sun moves. And so the shadow moves and covers the steps as the day progresses. Now, 
most likely the sign would have been immediate, as it is going the other direction. So Hezekiah, anyway, asks for the harder thing, for the, the time to go the other way. Let the shadow go back ten steps. I can't guarantee that this is actually a changing of time. It certainly could be that God just changes the shadow. Um, that's a possibility. God is God. He can do as he pleases. It would be interesting if God actually made time reverse. We know once that he made the earth stand still, that the sun did not move in the sky for 24 hours in the time of Joshua. So perhaps God tinkered with it again here. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 31, mentions this event. It mentions the envoys coming from Babylon and that they were coming about the sign. The sign is not mentioned with the envoys here in the next paragraphs, so it's an interesting connection. It makes you... Well, the study Bible suggests that that means that the sign was only local. As I suggested, it's possible God only made the shadow move and didn't actually alter anything beyond that, which would be, again, a simple miracle for the Lord to perform. But it's possible he did the grander miracle and the whole earth experienced this thing. The study Bible suggests the opposite, that if the Babylonian envoys are coming asking about the sign, it's because they don't know about it. They they wanted to learn about this local event. I don't understand that. I mean, to me, if the envoys are coming to ask about a sign, they wouldn't know about the sign unless they also saw it. And so they're coming to inquire of the Judean king because they've learned things about this God, Yahweh. And they're wondering if Yahweh had anything to do with this strange thing that they saw in their land. That's the way I take it, that this might have been even a global miracle. But who knows? I don't. Um, I cannot answer that question. All right, so as we move into the next paragraph then, the envoys come from Babylon. Merodach Baladan, king of Babylon, sends these envoys. And they come to Hezekiah, and he pridefully shows them his house. I admit, I've fallen into this trap, although I don't have everything that the king of Judah would have had. But people come over to your house, and you want to show off your place, right? You want to show them what everything looks like, what all you've managed to do with that that home that you have. And when you stop and you reflect on it, it is a little boastful. It's a little prideful. It could just be good hospitality. You know, you show them where the restroom is. But here Hezekiah shows these envoys all that he has, the silver, the gold, the spices, the oil, his armory, his storehouses. He shows them everything. And when they leave, Isaiah the prophet asks him what he's done, what he's shown them. And after hearing he showed them everything, Isaiah tells him that all of this will be taken away. All of it. Even from some of his own sons. Nothing shall be left. It will all be carried to Babylon. So here's a prophecy that we'll be looking at as we finish out the book of Kings in the days to come. Now, 
Hezekiah's response to that is quite odd. The word of Yahweh that you have spoken is good. Admittedly, that's fine. I have no no qualms with that. Even a bad word from God about me is still good because it's God's word. So if God were to say to me, as he said to Hezekiah, that I'm going to die tomorrow, well, so be it. This thing is good. I'll be with Christ. If it's if God were to give me a word that my life will be like Job's and disaster will fall upon my house, I would mourn greatly, but at the same time, the word is from the Lord, so it is good. That's not Hezekiah's reasoning, though. We are told his thought, and his thought is this. The word of Yahweh is good because it means, I mean, he says, why not if there will be peace and security in my days? I'm troubled by that. And you can talk to your kids about it. Is is that a response? Is that the thinking of a king that cares about his people? As long as things are good in my days, this is good. He doesn't care about what happens to his people afterwards. He doesn't care that God just said they're going to be ripped out of the promised land and taken off to Babylon where they're going to be made into eunuchs. You don't have to discuss that in detail with your children if they're really little if you don't want to. Um, Ouch. Even his own sons and Hezekiah is not bothered by this because he's got peace in his days. He's okay. We've seen Hezekiah described as being one of the great kings, one of the faithful kings of Judah, but even at that, he's still a sinner, just as you and I are. He still needs the forgiveness of the Lord for his sins. And he is one, unlike some of the others, he is one that I I would guess from what we read of him in Scripture, we'll get to meet him someday in paradise. His sins have been forgiven. He was looking forward to the Messiah who would come. And all the Old Testament people of God who looked forward to that Messiah share in the promise as we do. We just have a clearer picture as we look back upon the Christ and what he's done for us. They looked forward to it. We look back upon it. And together we will be in paradise. Manasseh will take over the throne and we'll read about him tomorrow.